This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where certain things are fixed, the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything else is just a matter of perspective. What's cracking beer lovers? What up? How we doing? We doing good. We're about to drink some beer and talk some theology. I want, I want a brewski, man. Yeah. Oh. You have a good one. I do have a good one. I'm really excited. Uh... The Bourbon Barrel Commitment Imperial Stout from St. Arnold's. Hey, St. Arnold. Hit us up. Hit us up. Let's, let's do it. Let's, let's, do, let's do the thing. Let's, let's do the darn thing. Do the darn thing. Um, full disclosure, 15.7% alcohol. Yeah, Clayton came in with these beers, and he was like, yo, look at these. And I was like, okay. And I was like, uh, what's the AVV on that one? And he goes, 15%. And I went, you drinking that one, I got to drive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we, we we're going to take this one slow and steady. Yeah. Um, that's the only way you drink this beer responsibly. Oh, yeah. With, um, and with some food. Yeah. Uh, and definitely going to have to eat yeah, when, you either, when we get off camera. I was fixing to say, you either ate before you came or you're eating I, first thing you leave. I did get food. Um before I left, okay. like, I'm probably going to eat some more because I'm hungry again. Yeah. Because, yeah, but. Well, we've also been recording content for a couple hours at this point, so. Yeah. Um, anyways, you know, I love St. Arnold. I haven't had a beer from them that I disliked yet. Um, you know, I think that's true for me, too. And, you know, I love him. Uh, Bourbon barrel stouts. Yeah, Clayton's big on the bourbon barrel stouts. Uh, really, bourbon barrel beer in general, but specifically what it does to yeah. the stout, I'm done. I'm not a huge bourbon barrel fan anyways. I know. So, uh, Clayton had another one that he got. I'm very familiar with that brewery. but Yes, this is from New Belgium. It's the Belgian Collection. And it's called the 1554. It is 6% ABV. And that's literally, it doesn't say much else about the beer. There's nothing. You really got to open. It says a surprisingly bright taste and a dry chocolatey finish. Hmm. One evocative, evocative of dark brews enjoyed in Belgian taverns 500 years ago. So that, that makes me think that it's a, it's a wheat and you know it's a good beer when it tells you what temp to serve it at. Yeah, which we're, it's probably not at that it's temp right now. not. There's no way it's at 45 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, right. yeah, no way. So we're serving it a little bit warmer than it probably should be. It's probably closer to that 50 to 55 degree. Yeah, but, you know, I know that they give you preferred, like, serving temps, but... Until you try it, you don't know what you actually prefer for your palate. Well, right? and it is proven that the colder beer is, the less flavor you have. Um, generally, that's true. But, you know, whenever I'm drinking High Life or PBR or something, I want I want it cold. <laughs> as well, cold yeah, but, as possible. But, but that's a drinking beer. Yeah, that's, that's not a, drink. a drinking beer. No, this yeah. is a sipping beer. Yeah. And this one, I would actually probably prefer it, because, and I know that I would, at like cellar temp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I would definitely prefer this at cellar temp. Well, you definitely get more of the fullness of the flavors. Yeah. So, cheers, cheers buddy. Cheers, buddy. 
jeez. Oh, I'm having... Rook. Uh. Ooh. That's pretty yummy. Ooh, that smells good on my finger. Yo, dark fruit. Yo, this is yummy. Dark fruit on the nose, man. Like, oh my gosh. Oh my god. I was thinking to say, I bet it's delicious. You you remember? Remember those like fig bars? Yeah, yeah. The, those fig Newtons. Yeah. Right here. I've I've had the um. Bishop's barrel that they did with the fig yeah. adjunct, mm. one of the best. Yeah, this is delicious. This is really good, Clay. Do you remember what this costed? Uh, costed. Yeah, costed because I accosted you. Yeah, for uh, only buying one. Um, I want to say it was like seven bucks. This was seven bucks. No, this was seven bucks. That one was like five. <sighs> Still. Too steep to keep around for oh, all the yeah. time. You don't keep that around. No. You don't keep any of these craft beers around all the time. Like, well, that's not true. Oh, you do? Oh, you you keep Dogfish Head. I keep the 120 all the time. But it's only because you can't go any time and just get it. Yeah. So I didn't read the tasting notes. The first thing they list is, is rich figs, yeah. <laughs> fresh vanilla, ripe strawberries, toasted oak, and dark chocolate. I got all of that. Yeah. And that's the thing that I love about St. Arnold's. Their tasting notes are never wrong. They're like they, never wrong. They know what you're supposed to taste. And if you know how to taste beer, you always taste it. Now, I will also oh, say. It's so good, man. To all of our listeners, tasting beer is is a progressive art. Well, it's it not something that you just show up day one. No. Like we well, we you, we drink beer with people and we're like, "Oh, we're tasting fig or we're tasting fruit or we're tasting vanilla." And they're like, "Y'all taste anything?" I just taste beer. It and just it, tastes like beer. And it's like, yeah. "Well, you've got to kind of grow into this." Well, but and so this is the thing that I tell people about whiskey tasting. Uh, I've done a couple whiskey tastings now um, with with some people. This is what I tell like them. Like you put on a whiskey tasting for people? Yeah. This is what I tell them. You cannot taste something that you do not have in your memory bank. Yes. Right? If you don't know what a certain thing tastes like, if I tell you, when you taste that, what does it remind you of? What's the closest thing that it can remind you of? If you do not have that in your memory bank, you will not know. Well, no, so that, but that's true in anything, right? There's Absolutely. science that proves now that you cannot picture a face that you've never seen before. Yeah. Within your subconscious or any, somewhere, if you've dreamt a face that you quote unquote never knew the person, you've seen that person, well, but, but you just didn't recall it. But that's the whole deal about what you know, what you don't know, what you know that you don't know, and then what you don't even know that you don't know. Correct. Right. Um, that's a Play-Doh thing for anyone not yeah. following. <clears throat> That's that whole deal, right? Yep. Um, and Hands when, down. And when it comes to whiskey tasting, cocktails, beer, mm -hmm. what have you, even food. Yep. Right? Yep. It, it, if you don't know what something is supposed to taste like, you don't, you're not you going to be able to pick it up. It. You cannot name it. But Even if you pick it up, you can't name it. Yeah. But that, listener... 
If you want to get good at tasting beer, if you want to get good at tasting whiskey, drink more. Yes, but even more so, experiment more with food. Get and pairing with food or just tasting food and trying to just, pick flavors? Just tasting food in general. Oh. Um, different foods, different desserts. Like, just experiment more. Yeah. Get out of your comfort zone with food. That's an interesting perspective. I didn't take that approach. But when I... Well, that's the approach that I took. When I started drinking... Uh, so I drank in high school illegally, like just because I was a dumb high school kid, uh, and I shouldn't have, that happens. but yeah, it happened and I was an idiot and I shouldn't have done it. When I actually started drinking, I turned 21 and I didn't really have anybody to show me the ropes. My friend Adam in college, in college, uh, who's been on. This podcast and let's talk a couple of times. Yeah, on this he's, podcast he did pneumatology. Yeah, check it out. He's a few years older than me. Um, when I turned twenty one, oh dang! I just realized Adam and I have been friends for almost ten years now. Yeah, so I, I had that realization with me and uh, Jared and Colin, or me and Jared specifically, but then yeah, you know, Colin's added on to that. Dang, I've that's been, crazy. I've been friends with Adam for almost ten years. That's crazy. Um, crazy. When you've known a person that long, like, yeah, well, they, they've yeah. got secrets that they know about you that's got to be locked in a deep vault. Like. You ain't lying. You ain't lying. So, anyways, I yeah. So Adam Adam began to teach me about beer and scotch, but even that, the scotch was limited because it's what he could get, or because he didn't know. Much. It was time availability. Okay. Because, well, and it was also a financial thing because scotch is expensive. Well, you got to pay the import tax on it. And we were both very poor. Yeah. We were both pastors at, or staff pastors at very small churches making crumbs. It should be illegal to pay pastors what we were making. Yeah. uh, And requiring full-time work from them. Yeah. But anyways, so he taught me about beer but I, other than that, I didn't really have anybody to show me the ropes. And so the way I figured it out and developed my palate was I just drank more. Yeah. Just drank and taste and figure it out. And then if, if I found a flavor I couldn't pinpoint, I'd go read tasting notes from more experienced people and mm-hmm. go, oh, that's what, that, that's what this flavor is. So, uh, so a, good, uh, a good way to do that is beer advocate. Yep, um, yep, yep, yep. If you're drinking beer, if you're drinking um, whiskey... There is a whiskey advocate, but I prefer the distilled uh, mm-hmm. app or the distiller app. Or uh, whatever it's distiller called. is good. Tapped is also. Oh, Tapped is a good one. Is a beer app that you can do. Yeah, yeah distiller. So, yeah, there are ways to do that uh, for sure. But we're 11 minutes in and we need to talk about some theology. Yeah. It's okay because today we're wrapping up all things women. Yes. And, and I do think that we need to do this because we have done a lot of content, not on yeah, this so podcast, we did. but well, so we've got support ladies, which is our story series. We've got a closer look, looking at each of those. And at mm-hmm. the time of this recording, we're not anywhere near done Mm-mm. with the support ladies series. And we've got one, Two, three, four, 
five, six. This will make seven episodes on PMP of our series on women. Yeah. Um, so we is it seven really? It'll be seven because we did an introductory episode. Uh-huh. We did uh, one Timothy two. We did one Corinthians eleven, one Corinthians fourteen, Genesis one, and Genesis two. Did we? And now wrapping up. Jeez, man, that time flies. Well, we also um, recorded all of those seven episodes in like the span of like 16 days. Oh, that's true. But so <clears throat> because we have done so much content on honestly the just our statement and why we hold the belief that we do about women in ministry, we need a conclusion to fully incorporate all those ideas and thoughts into one episode yes so if you're looking for that conclusion here's what it is in a sentence you can't say that people are equally valued and beloved by god if they're not given the same status position and office You just can't. Those things do not compute for me. Now, I will also say, because we've had this series, you will clearly understand that I'm valuing Genesis 1 supreme over Genesis 2. I do not read those stories as synonymous. I do not read Genesis 2 as an expounding of Genesis 1. I think they are two different stories telling two very different, different narratives both still valuable both still valuable both communicating something but as far as the value and ethic of humanity they're different genesis one is supreme in my book now there are people that do not agree with me i'm going to have dinner with i mean i'm going to have i'm going out with somebody tonight who i don't think agrees with me yeah. A very good friend of mine, someone who I love dearly. I would literally I actually know. I would literally take a bullet for this person. Oh yeah. Um I don't I don't think they agree with me. Mm. Um I, I don't actually know. Well, let me say they used to not. Yeah, I w- I will attest to that. They used to not, but I don't know if he still holds that view or not. Yeah, I don't know. But for me There's this huge hermeneutical leap that I just can't get over. You literally have two places in the New Testament and only the New Testament, might I mind you, that oppress women. I think at this point we've shown through our Support Ladies series, A Closer Look, and this podcast... That there are numerous women who were actual practitioners Mm. of ministry. Yep. That is not lost on me. What is also not lost on me is that most of those practitioners, those female practitioners of ministry, were affirmed Mm. by Paul, Mm -hmm. who allegedly wrote both of the narratives of oppression of women in the New Testament. Yep. 
So what does that mean for me? Well, I will tell you, I think, and I think I told you, 1 Corinthians 14, I think Paul is quoting their own narrative back to them and mm-hmm. disproving it. Yeah. Robert Brown is the leading kind of commentator that agrees with me on that. Um, I'm sure there are others. I will also say, because I've talked about him several times on this podcast throughout this series, Todd still does not agree with me on this. He actually does not think that that is what the Corinthians are saying or that it's an interpolation by somebody else. Mm -hmm. He thinks Paul actually said it and there's got to be another way to do it. Now, unfortunately, if he has a commentary on 1 Corinthians, I've not read it, so I don't know his actual position. And, you know, like, I think that is a valid position to hold. Oh, Um, yeah. Todd Still's legit. I'm never going to say any position that he holds, I'm never going to say is not valid. I'm not going to look at the dean of Truett Seminary and say, you know what? You're wrong, bro. Like, I'm not going to say that. Like, not happening. A very valid point. Not happening, bro. Um, just disagree and you know and i think that's okay well and i'm not even sure that i disagree with him because i don't know what his argument is Mm. he also affirms women in ministry oh and so for his end game i don't disagree with him i just don't know his explanation of one Corinthians 14 yeah i would love to know the 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 middle piece there yeah yeah, it's huge i just haven't I mean, he's a very busy man, sure. and I'm a very small person in his world. I have I don't get ample. Well, I'm not sure that that's true. <laughs> well, but I don't get I don't get unlimited contact Access with him. To yeah, him. yeah. So, but the First Timothy two thing, it really bothers me, and I do think. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm 95% sure that Dr. Still agrees with me on this one. And I know 100% true that Ben Blackwell and Timothy Brookins and Jason Mastin and Randy Hatchett and a lot of guys at HBU and uh, Joel Weaver and there's a ton of profs that agree with me on this one. 1 Timothy 2 is not universal. Mm. it's Mm. individual Mm -hmm. because of the unique things going on at Ephesus because of the unique things going on in the church why are women not to have authority over men in that unique position because men worship women more than worship God Mm. because they worship sex yeah so whoever that author is. Yeah, I, well, I don't know. I, I, apparently I woke up in a very liberal day or liberal position today because I'm like, yeah, Paul didn't write that. Yeah. But then tomorrow I may wake up and go, well, I'm not sure. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, so I have those days, um, but like whoever wrote that had a reason for writing it mm-hmm. and it is still and authoritative. It is in the Bible. That's it, the deal. You have to do something with it because yeah. it's in the Bible. It is still the, authoritative. Yeah, the Bible is always authoritative. Now, I will be honest. There are things that I throw out. Yeah. I cannot deny that. When yeah. I say the Bible's authoritative, I mean that the Bible in its holistic nature 
is authoritative, that, that the story is communicating the character of God that it's communicating, the love for humanity that it's communicating is but, authoritative. But there are pieces that I throw out. Well, and, and so... But that, that's the hard thing with narrative theology is that lots of times... So we have solid answers on certain things. And we don't have solid answers on everything. Yeah. Um, that is the hard thing about narrative theology. And especially when it comes to this conversation about women, I feel like it's... I think I feel easier to go to the... I mean, we're both egalitarians and mm -hmm. openly egalitarians. Yep. But I think it's easier for me to get there than you. To egalitarianism? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I don't think so. No? No. There was one thing that settled it for me. Same thing that settled it for Tom Wright. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Women are the first preacher of the, the resurrection. Yeah, fair enough. What the hell fair are you enough. saying? Like, it's easy. It's right yeah, there it's, before it's you. Right like, there. like, just be better readers of your Bible, bro. Yeah, <laughs> like, read your Bible better. It's Mary Magdalene. Or, sorry, Mary Bethany. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's like, just freaking read the text. Yeah, it's there, bro. Yeah, like, it's not hard for me. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's just I can there. get there. Um, um, I can also like, for me, like, I'll tell you the first thing that put me there is I edited, I was a student editor contrib I was not a contributing editor. I was, I don't know how he worded me. I must've been the student editor or something. Uh, I was a, I was some kind of editor of Dr. Tim Brookins, who's the classics and new Testament professor at Houston Baptist university. I edited his entire BH uh, GNT on 1 Corinthians, Baylor Handbook of Greek New Testament. Um, at this point, I had basically the equivalent of a minor in Greek. I edited his entire commentary, his Greek handbook on 1 Corinthians. I edited the whole thing. Looking for punctuation and, and things that he was saying, like just edited the whole thing, right? I was an editor. I think when I when I graduated college, I had been a contributing editor on like five volumes. Mm. Um just really found a knack for it, loved it, like just got a lot of experience doing it. And and Tim's book or Tim's commentary is two volumes. Okay. First Corinthians one through nine. And 10 through 16. I edited the whole thing. First Corinthians 11 did it for me. Mm. Having to look that closely at the Greek. First Corinthians 11 did it for me. Women are commanded to pray and prophesy. The question is whether or not they do it with their head covered. Yeah. It's not a question of can they, it's how they. That's what first did it for me. It wasn't for a few years that I heard Tom say what he said. Mm. Um, that was a done deal. Like, so it, it's pretty easy for me to get there, especially when I look like I'm just for I've now I've had much more time to think about sure, it. Than you sure, have. sure. But like when I put the narrative together, dude, it's a done deal. It's, it's two verses of oppression Versus countless of affirmation. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. And so when when you use narrative theology to get there, um, it, it's it's not it's not a hard step to take. Nope. Um, but fundamentally, if if there is something for you to take away from this episode, it's this: 
Here at Wellhouse, we want women to be affirmed. We want women to have... Can I pause? Can I interrupt? Yes. I don't want women to be affirmed. I want women to flip and thrive. I want women to do more than be affirmed. I want women to run this place. Go I off, want King. women to own this place. Go off, King. I'm I'm about it. Like um like yeah. Uh, I think that I want I want women to be treated the same as men, especially in the context of ministry. But you don't get there without equity, which means yeah. you got you have to have a little bit more favoritism towards women. We, w- I, I am a hundred percent confident in this. We will not see equality in my lifetime. True equality among race, gender, sexuality, whatever. So I'm going to give my life to equity. Absolutely. Of race and gender. Build the platform for the next generation. I can't do all of it by myself. Yep. But I can do equity for African Americans. And I can do... Well, for everyone who's not white, to be completely honest. Well, but I... No, I can't do that by myself. Not by yourself. Yeah, I can't do that by myself. But in your day-to-day life... Yes. But at Wellhouse... I will commit to equity for African Americans and I will commit to equity for women. Our dad has challenged me in a good way. And I think I'm going to side with him. I haven't a hundred percent decided, but based on the way our content is growing in the middle East, our dad has challenged me to equity for middle Easterns. Absolutely. Um, I think that's a little bit more challenging. Yep. But I think that may be something that I personally add to my statute of equity. Well, and oh god. That's that's a conversation for another episode. Though. That's a conversation for another episode on a different podcast actually. For here what you need to know is that as we conclude our conversation about women for this time, I have chosen to commit my life to equity for women in ministry. Love me, hate me. Honestly, I don't care. It's a conviction me either. that I have of the Lord And I've said it several times. I've said it to my best friends in the world. There are other churches that will give you jobs, bro. There are not enough churches that will give women jobs. And I just, I feel that it's my place to help bridge that gap best I can to be a refuge and a place for women to flipping thrive.